right, guys. Uh, welcome back to another episode of Chasing Heroin on this day. My name is Janine. I'm an alcoholic addict in recovery. My sobriety date is January 15th, 2015. So as my TikTok that I just made says, 2,152 days, which is insane. Yeah, it's incredible. And my name is Kimberly Walker. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. My role on the podcast is not as Janine's therapist, but as someone to <laughs> I ask, try. Yeah. <laughs> to ask questions that listeners may have of Janine or our guests and change people's perspectives on addiction and recovery. And today we are super excited. Today's guest is my sponsor, Rachel, who I love. And I always like to add this. Rachel has been my sponsor for about eight years, though I have six <laughs> because she sponsored me through relapses. Mm -hmm. And I do the same thing with my sponsees. And I think that's really important because there is, you know, there are some sponsors that will drop you if you relapse. And I think that that's totally insane. And Rachel never dropped me. So uh, Rachel has eight years. Her sobriety date is December Eighteenth, two thousand and twelve. Ooh, okay. your birthday's coming up. I know, I know. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to get her on. Good. So, um, yeah, Rach is a counselor at a recovery program nearby, and I'll let you. Why don't you just tell people like a little bit about your history? Okay, so it's funny because me and Janine couldn't be more different. Awesome. <laughs> like her dad's a pilot, and I'm super ghetto. My dad died in his <laughs> in his addiction. <laughs> Pretty much all my all the people that I looked up to are almost are dead or or in prison right now. Um, almost all my girlfriends even have gone to prison, and probably the only reason why I haven't gone to prison is because obviously my hustle is stripping and prostitution, <laughs> and you don't really go to uh, jail for being a prostitute unless you're like walking the blade, which is yeah. Did you do not do? Did you no. ever do that? No, no I never okay. did that. Well, now they're like really decriminalizing. Yeah. Are they? Well, oh, because it's a, a lot of people are put into it by force, by because they're trying to support something. And why aren't they criminalizing the people who are buying? Who are soliciting. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's actually, I mean, at least for minors, it is. When I first started in this profession, like girls were going 14 years old to juvenile hall when oh, an adult male crazy. had solicited them. Like, that's insane to me. Yeah, yeah you, yeah, you, you can't crazy. give consent when you're 14. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> right? Exactly. But you never got arrested for solicitation. No. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it halted your career because you can't, you don't, can't necessarily age into that, I guess. Right? You age out of that at some point, I would think. The stripping, certainly. Uh, Let's see. So, um, I don't know, my drugs of choice are meth, Xanax, heroin. Um, you know, I was an IV drug user. Right. I didn't get clean until I was 38 years old. Right. Um, I didn't, I didn't, ha you know, and I think like for sure, you know, once I became, a, you know, like it was always a party and it was always cool. And like, like I said, you know, all my friends went to prison and so it, it was very much normalized, right. you know, I mean, like it, that wasn't like, I never really had too much of a aspiration for anything more you know right, that's what yeah. all my friends did that's what all my friends parents well that's did. kind of what your parents did right remember that one time with your dad when you stole oh yeah no i've used drugs with both my mom and dad right. remember <laughs> you stole coke from him and he acute what that was probably the, worst. Tell the listeners that story okay so i think i was like 11 years old yeah. my mom was like in the psych ward because she had uh she had taken care of her mom dying of cancer oh. and so i was i was living alone with my dad i was 11 years old 
and his uh, and his friend had come over. And so it was just me, my dad and his friend, and we were all alone in the house. And uh, he had this big pile of Coke in the living room. And I took a spoon and I snuck into there and I took a little scoop and I snuck back into my room because uh, I was. But you didn't do it, right? You just put it away because you didn't really know what to do with it, correct? I feel like. No, I was. Right. No, I was. You know, oh, you I had. Did it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you yeah, did no, it. For oh, sure. At 11. Okay. <laughs> so you knew what it was. You knew how to use all of that. I started stealing like weed from my dad. Yeah, I was using drugs like. So, but so finish the story, but I interrupted you. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so I stole some coke from my dad, and my dad thought his friend did it. And I literally sat in my room and proceeded to listen to my dad like beat the crap out of the guy. Wow. And you know, he's like begging, like, "Come on, Fernando! I swear to God!" <laughs> you know, <laughs> Can you imagine? is that crazy? I, you know, like, and my dad was like violent. Yeah. And I'm like, this guy, uh, you know, he hurt him bad. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah, I think that's probably one of the worst things. Did you ever tell your dad that? that I was, never told you him. Never did. You well, I mean, as like a little older. girl hearing that, there's right. no way, right? You're like, that's what he's doing. Right. <laughs> that's terrifying. Right. Okay. Um, so you started using Young, got clean at 38. Yes. Okay. So as you guys know, the premise of the podcast is we talk about an incident from our past, a specific one, mm -hmm. and get into that a little bit. So Rachel has a story from December of 2010. Yes. Right. That you're going to share with us. Yeah. So, so uh, December of 2010. And you can get background on all this stuff with like, what you know, how yeah. much detail you want to get into. Um. So kind of like once I became a mom, like I, it started, you know, that, that was like, things started to change. Like my, my life, you know, like my outlook on things started to change. Um, like I didn't want to be a piece of shit mom. Right. And I was, you can't be a good mom junkie. Right. Right. Okay. So you were using, got pregnant, had Hannah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, Hannah's dad is like a heroin addict. Right. And he introduced me to heroin. Right. And, um, and you know, I was so strong out on heroin. I hadn't had my period in six months. And oh. I was like, go ahead, come inside me. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I got pregnant that day. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay, so you guys were actively using when you got pregnant. Yes. I was, two weeks, I was two weeks pregnant. Um, and we both got busted. Okay. And uh, I'm, sitting in the, I'm sitting in the jail. I'm, like, about to get the Librium and the little Filipino. They test you, yes. you know, when you're a girl. It's and the same lady, by the way. <laughs> She's like... The oh, Filipino nurse. I cannot give you nothing. You are pregnant. <gasps> oh <my gosh. laughs> I almost hit that lady. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like the, the, the Librium is like out. in her hand and it's like, oh. Uh... And that's going to keep you from getting sick. Yeah, no, that's how, that's how I found out I was pregnant. Oh my gosh. I think I forgot that part of the story. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that was when? That this was prior. That's 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 prior to this prior to, to 2010. About. So okay. So that was like somewhere. That was like in 2005. Okay. Um, like in summer in 2005. Right. Okay. Um, I just want people to kind of have some background on what we're talking about. So there's you, your daughter, your husband. Yes. And then this event that you're talking about. Okay. So uh, Hannah was living with my mom at this time. You okay. know, like uh, you know, she was like three years old. Okay. Uh, you know, me and Chris had been using. You know, he. Uh, he was in prison when Hannah got, was born, but right. you know, he got out. Uh, we started using again. Okay. Um, you know, 
Hannah went to, you know, like there were cops at her house all the time. Okay. You know, it was, it, I think we ended up getting kicked. I think I was living in a hotel. We were living in hotels at that time. Okay. Um, you know, he's from Encinitas. He grew up like in a really, you know, like upper class, upper middle class neighborhood and, um, kind of grew up like that. And he was super good at shoplifting because yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he would just walk around and, you know, and like, and that's what, that was like his thing. Right. Um, but he would literally like walk out with an Apple computer, like in the cart, right. you know, yeah. um, me and Hannah's dad were living in hotels. Uh, you know, he was stealing, uh, you know, I was stripping every, you know, mostly, um, like I didn't do prostitution when, me and Chris were together. I mean, like that wasn't you didn't. a thing. Okay. Yeah. It was like two o'clock in the morning. Uh, we were like in East San Diego at a Kmart. <laughs> and, um, and I don't know, like I, I was inside there with, I was inside the Kmart with him and he was like stealing shit. And I just kind of had a bad feeling. I'm like, dude, I'm gonna go wait in the car. And, um, and so I'm sitting in the car, like, I don't know, doing my thing, just like being a tweaker. <laughs> um, like everything's normal here. Um, to see here. I see Hannah's dad running out of the um, out of the, the Kmart, and I see loss prevention running after running after him. And I see I see them grab him and like wrestle him back into the store. And I'm like, oh crap, you know. So I took off, you know, like he's busted. Um, but apparently he got away from them. Oh. And so, but when he ran out of the store, like I'm not there. So he ran across the street to a gas station and told this lady, give me your keys. And uh, apparently uh, the only thing that saved him was that he was not able to like, it was like one of those, like at that time it was like newer where the key like flips out and he couldn't figure out how to get it to do it. <laughs> so the cops pulled up and he had not moved the car. And so he got attempted carjacking instead of carjacking. Okay. As if he would have moved the car. Um, but he did get eight years for that. Oh, and so, wow. you know, he was, he was done, you know, pretty much. So how did you find out what had happened? So you left, so he came out, he got tackled by loss prevention. You took off, you went back to your hotel room. Yeah. How did you find out later that he had gotten away, ran out looking for you? Also, was he mad at you for not being there anymore? Did that ever come up between the two of you guys? No, it never, didn't. It was just, dude, when you're right. getting loaded, like shit just happened. Dude, I still would have gotten mad at my ex, I guarantee you. <laughs> if I'd gotten tackled and he was supposed to be waiting for me in a car and I ran out there and he was not there, I think I still would have been mad. I still would have had balls to be mad even though that whole situation was insane so but he wasn't mad necessarily i don't know we've never actually had that conversation really yeah wow interesting i should i should probably ask him um because we're total friends now. right now you guys are cool yeah okay so how did you find out that he so you went back to your hotel room how, how did you learn that he got or you assumed he had gotten arrested anyways i knew he got arrested. i mean yeah okay. i just assumed that he got arrested okay uh, you know, the very next day I looked him up and it was carjacking. Oh. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> so oh my I am alone in this hotel room. I have no money. We were even like, we didn't even have a car. We were literally renting a car. Oh my gosh. Like, um, like every week there was this like super janky, uh, like 
rental car place, right. you know, um, I ended up just keeping that car and not paying. Oh my God, bringing it back. <laughs> um, I think probably after like three weeks, they I knew it somehow. No, after like three weeks, I knew it was like super sketchy. And so I just kind of like abandoned it somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> I called them and I'm like, it's on this block. Did you ever get charged with this? I never did. Did they come after you? Okay. I never did. Interesting. And you know, so that was just kind of like, you know, I was on my own again. Like yeah. the ex got eight years. You went back to the hotel room by yourself, eventually found out it was carjacking. It was very, very serious. What was then like the immediate aftermath of this event? Like what, what did you do after this? Um, I, I probably for like two weeks, I just got super high and right. just tried to, you know, like obliterate it. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but you know, eventually like I was alone. Yeah. Uh, I didn't have, I didn't have a running partner to be co-signing my bullshit and like normalizing everything, you know, okay. like reality started to kick in and right. I'm like, dude, I, and you know, my mom, uh, and it was around Christmas time. So, right. you know, I think I went home for Christmas and then I just ended up, I tried to stay there because I, obviously I didn't stop shooting dope right. and yeah. that didn't work out well. Right. So, you know, eventually my mom got tired of it. Like probably you know after a few months i ended up renting a room okay uh, in one of my homeboys house okay um and kind of went crazy yeah. okay because so we know so this was december 2010 you finally got clean and sober forever in december 2012. so those next two years were just what like what what happened in those two between the two you know what so uh, the one thing I think one of the, okay. So it's funny because like these things that, that happened to us, like I met my sugar daddy yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I wouldn't have been able to get clean without him. Right. You know, True. he, uh, he was widowed, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I met him at the strip club Right. Yeah. and, um, he paid for, he paid for treatment for me, you know, uh, right. like, like eventually just things, you know, like sometimes you just have this moment of clarity and, um, and I, and it doesn't always last that long, you know? Um, at some point I, you know, at some point I like showed him the needle and was like, look, I am shooting up. This is what I'm doing. I need to go to treatment today before I change my mind again. And he's like, okay, well, we'll take you on Monday. And I was like, okay, then you need to buy me some drugs. <laughs> and so now this was around like December, 2012. Now we're getting closer to when you actually went to choices. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. And so he, you know, like bought me, you know, he bought me a shitload of drugs and like he left the house like that weekend for like five minutes and I took all the drugs and didn't come back for like two weeks. Okay. He was literally calling choices and was like, is she there yet? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Kim was, was like, hoping you had just checked yourself in. Yeah, and Kim was like, I don't know who you are. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> and he was like, Who is this? Who is this? I was like, Who is this guy? You know, he yeah. was telling me, Who is that you're, you know, he's calling every single day asking me if you're here. Right. <laughs> did he, did Sugar Daddy give the intake coordinator that we're talking about your name? And did Kim remember you? I don't think he remembered he me at okay. that time. Had he been there when you were there the first time? He was. He but, was. you know, like me and Steve were buddies. Right, exactly. Kim. Exactly. <laughs> right. Okay, okay, okay. So 
what the day you finally checked into into choices what did that look like or the 24 hours preceding you going in so two years of madness it's funny because i got clean four days after my daughter's birthday and i think that like that like i didn't show up to her house you know to to like see her on her birthday and i felt so freaking guilty yeah you know I wanted to take her to Disneyland for her birthday. You yeah. know, like my grandma took me to Disneyland for my third birthday. And like, yeah. I, you know, like that's something that I completely remember. And it was her third birthday? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I think it was, uh, no, it was maybe her fourth or fifth okay. birthday. Okay. But you wanted to do that. I wanted to do that. And I couldn't even keep it together to show up to, to my mom's house. Yeah. And so I, I checked myself in like four days, you know, like that just complete and utter spiritual bankruptcy, you know, like the, just the hopelessness, the absolute hopelessness and the the shame and the guilt, you know? And so I checked myself in on December 17th. (laughs) Wow. That's so crazy. Did you think you would actually finally say, say clean this time? You know what? Not really. Because I definitely did not. Not really. Yeah. Um, About myself, not you. (laughs) I just, you know, I, like I had been, you know, I I, I was like CPS involved at this time. Oh, that's right. That's right. And like the, the caseworker was like, okay, well your next court date, we're, we're going to, we're going to recommend adoption, you know? And I was like, not cool with that. Like uh, if, you know, like my mom had actually hired a lawyer two years before and she was going to do um, guardianship. Oh, okay. and, um, she spent like $2,000 and then, then the day that, that I went to court and the judge wanted me to give up guardianship. I was like, I can't do this. So you had agreed and then you changed your mind. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. So I took reunification. That's, that's how I was, that's how I was in, that's how I was like CPS involved. And like my kind of, that's how you got CPS involved because they weren't involved in an arrest or anything. Your mother started guardianship. You went to court, changed your mind. That's when you got attached to CPS. Yes. Okay. I don't think I ever knew that. I thought they'd been involved in one of your arrests. They've been in, no, they've been involved in my life. Like before I I had like done all the things to get them out of my life. Oh, Um, okay. But they, they had been in your life before. Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. and Hannah's dad. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. So, so how does that work? It's on record that you have a child. They arrest you and they go, where's the kid? And when you don't know, they go, okay, well, now we're getting involved. So I think, the like, uh, there was one time when Chris was arrested and, and Hannah was, had been there. Uh, there was one time when um, I had gone to the hospital. And, um, and that was kind of like, the, actually, that was like kind of the way it was like, Hannah was living with my mom, but I had, uh, I had gone to the hospital because, uh, like I had kidney stones oh, and okay. I was on Medi-Cal and it showed that Hannah was oh. my, was my, you know, like Hannah was on Medi-Cal with me and they were like, and they went to the address. My mom's like, yeah, she's on drugs, but oh, she, you know, <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's crazy. There's so many different ways they can get involved and just leave or do like a it's called the voluntary case, which is not really voluntary, right? But the dependency <laughs> of like, yeah, having to go through, you're going to do counseling, you're going to do 52 weeks of domestic violence, whatever it looks like, and then people will go through the motions, or by the time they go back to check in for court, oh, I haven't done anything, and then they start the process of adoption or guardianship. Oh, or okay, like yeah, okay. 
you missed her birthday and yeah. you said to sugar daddy, it's yes. called tea. Okay. Cause that's easier. Right. Sugar daddy doesn't really roll off the tongue. Yeah. You said to T, I need to go. Will you pay for me to go? I want to go back to choices. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Steve was like the only person I've ever really known. That's know. like really made, uh, being sober look cool while I was still not in that mindset. <laughs> that's exactly what Tommy said. So listeners, you guys remember Tommy's episode, OD at the wheel. He said the exact same thing when he met Steve and same thing with me, who has unfortunately passed away. I went, Oh, he's doing that. Okay. All right. That guy's doing it. Yeah. I can get on board with this. And Tommy felt the same way. Yeah. It's so important that people like that are like out there doing that. Yeah. So, but didn't you keep calling and not showing up and, and David had to wait for you all night? Of course. That's, that's every time you show up to choice. Right. Right. That's true. Cause I remember later. So Rachel ended up working there as a counselor, which is how we came to know each other. Uh And cause my straggly ass showed up a little bit after that. I had just left when she got there. When I was there the first time I had been kicked out in August and then she was there in December. We just missed each other. Yeah. And I remember they made you wait on the intakes that they thought would take a while because David was like, you're sick forever. And I had to sit here all night. You can sit here all night and wait for this bozo. Remember that when she had like two years or three years? They made her do the intakes of the people that kept falling. I mean, like, can you push it an hour? Can you push an hour? Can you push an hour? Because they tell you to be there at two o'clock. Yes. And, uh, and I probably showed up there at like five o'clock, sure, of course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> which is like an hour past the time that right. you're supposed to, you know, like we were right. supposed to be off at four. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so they would make Rachel wait for the intakes that were coming in late. Uh, it's karma. interesting because it was like, you said, you know, the, the shame or the sadness around missing your, your daughter's birthday kind of pushed you into, okay, I, I need to do something different. I need to get clean. And I feel like it can from what I've learned here and what I've learned working with other people is it can kind of go either way, that shame of like further into your addiction or like, okay, I got to make a change. I need to do something different. And it's that like crux that's so hard. Okay. How do I make this a catalyst for change instead of diving deeper because I'm feeling so much shame and guilt? I don't know how that shakes out. I think you're right. Yeah. No, sometimes like in your current, if I would have, if I would have, I think the shame drives him deeper. Yeah. Don't well, you think? Yeah, probably. You but know, I think he can't see past it. If I would have like the, that was the reason why I wouldn't, why I didn't, uh, you know, give up the guardianship because if I no longer had that responsibility right. and I had just abdicated that, that responsibility. And now I'm just, just you. a piece of crap mom who gave her kid away. Mm-hmm that I am going to 100% try and use as many drugs or kill myself because, right. you know, like when we're dead, then there's no more pain. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, for sure. For sure. So what did the re- reunification process look like once you checked into residential treatment? Where did it go from there? What were the next steps? So a month later, I, you know, I went to court. Okay. Um, they wrote glowing letters for me. Sure. The judge, you know, extended my, I don't know, reunification process. Because wasn't it almost up? Yeah, no, they were literally that court date that they were going to give her away. She was going to recommend adoption. And then, yeah, uh, my CPS worker was, you know, sick and tired of me just oh my gosh, doing the bare minimum, you know? Yeah. 
but you were in treatment. So you showed up with letters. So they extended your reunification. And then what happened from there? I'm pretty sure, uh, you know, I started working with Debbie, um, who is my sponsor. Mm -hmm. And I just, I started listening and like, and Steve was so cool. Like I never would have been able to make it through that that program without him. Like he was always like intervening with Kim, you know, because I was fucking up bad. (laughs) I wasn't using drugs, but it was a co-ed program. (laughs) So I, you know, I mean, I for sure did almost everything wrong except for, um, use picking up. Right, right, right. But in terms of reunification process, what unfolded from there? Like, what were the steps until you got it back? And, Cause I think that's interesting because for someone that doesn't have, like, I don't know anything about this process. What, what, what was the process after that? How did you? So the next there? court date, they uh, allowed me to have like overnight visits with Hannah. So I was able to, and I think by that time, like I was eligible for passes. Right. Um, And even at that time, like, I wasn't sure if I was going to, if I was going to be able to stay clean. I like lent Paulina my car because she was my house manager and she would drive me down and drop me off at, um, at my house in El Cajon with my mom. And she would just like cruise around, you know, like during the weekend and then she would come pick me up because I didn't trust myself to like, I trusted myself to go down there visit with Hannah, but like that drive back to choices, right? I, got I wasn't sure if my car was going to go right. choices or. Right. Right, <laughs> right. right. So when did you get Hannah back? Like let's. I think it took, I think, um, I think my final, I think my final court date was like, like I was already working for the program. I, I think okay. I had a little over a year's clean and okay. then, they gave me this certificate, uh, this re, you know, I like, remember that. I, remember I that. when I tell my story, I'm like, yeah, they gave me this no longer a piece of shit mom. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have yeah. the same judge the whole time? Yes. What was yeah. that like to be like, I'm getting my daughter back and I worked to do this. I don't know. It just feels really like emotional. And... It is, it is like, you know, and, and, uh, there's like all these things, you know, like all those hoops, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all this stuff, like you can't even, you know, you can't like, one of the huge things is like, you know, I've always had some kind of like entity in my life telling me what to do, whether it's probation or, you know what I'm saying? Like all of a sudden you are like fully independent and you can do, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, but I still, even at that time, I still had guilt and shame. I still had you yeah. know, I still didn't feel like I was a good, was it was a good mom yet, or I was like doing things on my own yet. Right. It takes a long time for that stuff to come back. Yeah. You know? So what would you say, like some of the stuff you were starting to say, what, what, what was different? What did you do differently this time? I just, okay. So one of the most important things I like, I, so like working with newcomers is like so important to me. Um, because, and like, you know, I always like when somebody asks me to sponsor them, I always tell them, you know, that it's an honor and a privilege. And it is, you know, because, um, because I had all these people in my life, like Debbie and Steve and people who believed in me, um, when I did not believe in myself. And so, you know, like I owe that like huge debt, you know, and like to be able to pay that office to like pass it on to other people, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause my, one of my questions was, what is the role of a sponsor for someone who's 
not in recovery. I have no idea. Like I kind of have an idea, but what is the role and what role does being someone's sponsor play in your recovery? You kind of touched on it. But... So being someone's, so you can't tell somebody how to live if you're not living that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it for sure keeps you accountable. And also, I mean, well, the role of a sponsor is to uh, take a, a sponsee through the 12 steps, you know, mm-hmm. like give them an adequate pre- presentation of the steps. Mm-hmm. And through working the steps, you, you know, your life gets better, you know, like you, you start building a life because not using drugs and alcohol isn't the, isn't, that's not the goal, you know, the goal is to have a life that's so cool that you don't need to escape mm-hmm. from it, you know, with drugs and alcohol. Um, and that's what doing, you know, that's what yeah. implementing the steps into your life does. I love that explanation because I think in my head it's, oh, it's to not use drugs and alcohol. And I just think that's such a cool explanation of to live this really stuff we talked about in other episodes, a fulfilled life. Yeah. And realize, oh, wait, I don't need those things to live that fulfilled life. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So where are you now? What does your life look like now? So now I, um, I work in a fancy like insurance program. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so for us, for an insured program for me and Rachel is like, I can't even imagine. <laughs> I can't even imagine going to a program like that with yoga taught by me. With, uh, a beach house, a beach house, a, which is a mansion to me. <laughs> no, it's a straight mansion. I it's totally a mansion. Totally mansion. Okay, so you work. You're a pro. You're what's your what's your actual title? So I am a CADC one, which is a certified alcohol and drug counselor. Okay. So I went to school for two years to do that. I went to school for one year to do that. Okay. Um, and then I just spent three years getting my AA degree. You know, and this was like all like little incremental things, you know, right. and now um, I am my second year at Cal State San Marcos. I'm getting my BA in psychology. Right. I'm in this amazing program that uh, like out of 24,000 students, there's only there's or I mean, out of 17,000 students, there's only 24 people in this program. Yeah. And it's like uh, they help you get into graduate school, like, you know, like you get all these scholarships and like it's. They have me convinced that I want to get my PhD at Stanford. Oh my God, really? <laughs> so, side note, do you move there? Yes. What yes. do I do? You're my sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> this is an addict response. Congratulations on your fucking doctorate. What about me? <laughs> Dude, it's a 45 minute plane ride. <laughs> That's really cool. I did not know you were considering doing that. That's awesome. She's not happy about learning about it here. I'll yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, and of course, you and Hannah now live together. Yes. Right. Yeah. And she's 13 years old, and we have like a really, really good relationship. Um, we we kind of went through this thing yes. last year. Yeah. Um, Is she doing? She's better. She's you know well so last year she tried smoking pot for the first time she you know well not for the first time she was she was actually probably smoking pot for a couple of weeks before i kind of like caught on right well because that's the bummer of being a kid of us yeah we're gonna know skylar and i talked about that we're like well at least we would know right away um and using drugs is the only like 
uh, is the only thing that I'm like a super Nazi about. Right. You know? And and I explained to Hannah, I'm like, look, your dad's a heroin addict. I'm a heroin addict. You're genetically disposed. Right. And uh, if you start, uh, you know, messing with your brain chemistry right. at 13 years old, I don't right. care if it's weed, you know, your, your brain chemistry isn't the same as another 12 year old's brain chemistry. Right. Um, and so, you know, I was bringing home tests for my program. Yeah. Testing her. <laughs> yes. Wow. Does she ever ask you about those years or bring it up? She remembers things like, you know, we think we, we would like to, we would like to think, Oh, they're too young. They don't remember, but she does. She does. This might Um, be like a a hard question, but do you think she's mad at you at all? Or is she upset or was she young enough that you missed some of that resentment stuff? I don't think so. I mean, like lots of, you know, not having your dad, you know, through, through growing up, like, I mean, all that stuff affects you a lot, you know? And, um, and like I said, when we kind of had that like rough patch last year, she was very, that's right. She commented on it. Didn't she say something? (laughs) Oh my God. I remember this. And what was funny to me about that was, so these little kids that she was hanging out with that were like 11 and 12 and 13 were trying to do little punks to Rachel. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, Oh my God, they they knew. Yes. This chick's like hell's angels connected background they would not be you know weren't they talking shit to you a little her friends yes they were (laughs) you talked about being exposed to drugs from a young age how do you feel that has informed your parenting with hannah that's made it really hard for her to get away with stuff (laughs) but also i mean the other thing is like we didn't have like life 360 or you know Mm -hmm. like a I mean, (laughs) all that's, um, and I mean, like, like I'm a drug counselor, like Mm -hmm. I, I'll throw a bottle on her. I do not care. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, but the other things like, you know, I mean, uh, the way that like the way that Hannah dresses is probably way over the top, but I don't really give a shit because Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like that that's like part of her, like being, you know, expressing herself right. and like finding her identity. Yeah. And yeah. like, I am not going to like, that is the last thing that I'm going to like try and control, you know, mm-hmm. and, and working the steps has helped me, you know, like identify, like, what are the things that are, you know, what are the priorities? Like, you know, is she, uh, you know, is she safe? Is she, you know, like, it, are, are these, you know, like those, the things, uh, how she dresses, um, is it's not it's not something that you need to fight about right right. (laughs) pick your battles kind of yeah right yeah one of the things we try to do with each episode is look at the events that we're talking about and pick out like a positive or something that changed your course from it so you know x got arrested got eight years for carjacking Mm -hmm. and then also in december missed your daughter's birthday those two things, could you say, I don't regret those things because they X, Y, Z, they gave me or they led me. Could you, how would you finish that sentence for either one of those two events or both? I mean, I never would have gotten clean if, if it weren't for Hannah, like for sure, you know, and I, I don't know. And maybe I, I I might've not got gotten clean if, if, Hannah's dad didn't get arrested. Right. Yeah. If you two had been able to stay running together. Yeah. 
like for that longer. feeling of loneliness kind of propelled you into, oh, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Alone, it's feels pretty horrible. Yeah, but but for sure, you know, like I was, you know, for sure, I was like, I was alone. You know, I was like, I was able to kind of like work on my, you know, like just not be like caught up in all that, you know, the, right. the chaos of like my relationship, you know, and um, that's true. That's interesting. It does allow you a little bit of, even though you're still loaded when you're by yourself, because that's what happened with me. I was homeless by myself once. Mm-hmm. And when he got out and everybody went to detox, I'd had those three weeks by myself. And when I went into detox, I remember, I, I think I had been able to break that time. And it's almost like you can break that toxic cycle of being, yeah, exactly. Just caught up in the other person. So it probably give, it did give you, I don't want to call it clarity because you were using that maybe some clarity when you're by yourself, when you're not caught up in the other person, also the other person being there makes it seem more okay. Yeah. Cause there's two of you. Yeah. And you're both doing the same feels thing. Normal. Yeah. Feels- yeah. Like you said early on, it normalizes it, you know? And so when he left, it kind of probably maybe moved you into a new awareness. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, I think something that Tommy said. And like you said earlier, you know, if I would have like lost custody of Hannah, like that would have driven, I think that would have driven me way deeper, deeper, you know, like, because there is a point where you're just like, you can just give up. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, I always tell people like, there's a certain kind of freedom in having nothing to lose. Right. But there's also, you know, like you, you have to have something to be working towards. Although those things obviously like kind of change the trajectory, you know, like there's been so many times when I thought, uh, you know, like now I'm a mom, this is going to change my life. Like the, the disease is so strong, mm-hmm. you know, that a lot of times it overtakes it. Something Brad said last week, there's this like, slight small moment of clarity that you just mentioned too it was like even if it's a snip you're like what am I doing and it propels you into I think I need to do something different yeah and those add up over time right and that's why I'm glad so we're picking from you two things one that was actually your last use but then another one that wasn't and my my heart is still so with I hate calling people chronic relapsers. It's so program speak, but chronic relapsers, because that's what I was. And you really get to a point where you believe that because you haven't been able to do it yet, you're not going to. Mm -hmm. But like, I always try to emphasize that, you know, I had moments of clarity within those, within those times Mm -hmm. that they weren't necessarily the last use, but they all added up. I hate that thing about chronic relapse. I know too. I do too. I because don't even know where that, some counselor made that up somewhere. You know what I mean? Probably. Um, so what's the, what's the real crazy one in San Francisco, the fur where they chained you to beds to kick her on Synanon. Probably some counselor <laughs> made up chronic relapsers. But I mean, that's like assuming that you're going to try a new skill, which is living life on life's terms. You're going to try it and one time it right away. Yeah. Right. It also assumes without the insight of the psychological understanding, what something that you and I have talked about that I learned from Kim, which is concept pre-contemplation, 
contemplation and action. Mm -hmm. And I've never, obviously, like an A or NA, we're not talking about that, which is, I understand, though, I think it does need to be really black and white. But I can step back after all these years and look back and see that there was a phase to that for me. And I feel like that was a phase for that for you. And if we had to pinpoint a spot where you moved into pre-contemplation, maybe it was this time. Yeah. You know, the two years when you were by yourself. Yeah. And then I would say another positive that came out of it was you did meet T who paid for you to go to rehab later. And you wouldn't think that anything beneficial could come out of stripping full time and being a professional meth addict, but he did help you in a lot of ways. He 100%. Helped you know, me. <laughs> and I know it's hard to say that I've met him. I know it's hard to say that because there was the dynamic of that relationship was quite complicated, but he was at your sit in. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. He was at her sit-in or your one year you have a sit-in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know he what? Was, like, I mean, crucial. I was a t- in that relationship, I was the terrible person. Right. Okay. He tr- honestly and truly loved me. And yes. I was just being, I was just, uh, I, I was still, even when I was clean, right. I was still, I was still an addict, you right. know, I was still an addict and I still was in that mindset of just using everybody for everything that I can get. Right. And, and he truly, truly loved me, you know, like with all his heart right. and, you know, and he, this is going to sound so cheesy, but do you feel like he saw something in you that like you hadn't found yet in yourself that he's like, I'm going to invest in this person or was it had nothing to do with that? I don't know. I mean, of course, like, I mean, maybe, yeah, like he loved me, you know, like anytime that you, anytime that you love somebody, whether it's unrequited <laughs> right. or not, mm-hmm. you know, you do see like the most beautiful parts of that person. Oh, yeah. So he probably had some hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I'd say he probably had some hope. And then while I've got you here too, I want to share another thing that I want people to hear, which is that. So I got kicked out of choices when Rachel was a counselor and Rachel was the person that had to test me the last time. This was prior to her being my sponsor, but we had been friends. We'd been like friendly in the program. I'd only been there a few months. And I remember you saying to me in that little bathroom in Steve's office, dude, are you dirty? And I just went, yeah, I am. Mm -hmm. And I walked out and I left and I walked the parking lot to McDonald's to call somebody. And there are so many of those moments when you're the person getting kicked out that are so disappointing. But now Rachel is sitting here. She's now been my sponsor and friend for many, many years. We're in my studio. We're on my podcast that I have started and launched because I'm sober. You're sober. We came back around. You're one of my very best friends. I think it's always important to point out those moments, you know, because I had so many of those dark moments where I was so disappointed in myself, where I was walking away from yet another program with everything I own in a trash bag. Like there wasn't, you weren't standing in the bathroom going, I can see myself in no. five, six, seven years. Rachel's doing this. Of I'm course doing not. The, no, of course not. Of course not. And I just think that that's kind of a nice moment. Yeah. Like think about that. Do you remember, I, I can see you in my mind. I was wearing pajamas because you had to come pick me up. <laughs> and I remember that moment and you just like walking out of the bathroom. And I would have loved to have known if somebody could have told me, don't worry, you know, this is all going to turn around. And one day you guys will be sitting in a very different room talking about this moment, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I, it's funny because I was just, we, me and you and I had a conversation a couple months ago 
with this dark, dark place that you were in, you know, with, with the uncertainty of your business and, um, and, you know, when I was telling you, like, you have no idea what is going to come out of this five years from now when you're being interviewed on Oprah. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. You You know, you like, but this dark time gave you the opportunity to kind of pursue some other things, you know, and we, we don't, we don't know only our higher power knows is, you know, is able to see the big picture. Right. And we, you know, cause we're, we're human beings, we're fallible and we just just see this much. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. You did see that. I had another, I want to sell the studio moment. <laughs> I called Rachel. I was like, I can't do this. Yeah. You know, we're closed again. We're outside. Yeah. But I do say that a lot. I'm really grateful that, and Brad said that last week too, when his business was was faltering a bit at the beginning. Mm-hmm. He thought, well, I was a heroin addict. You said this to me once. You were like, this, you know, nothing can happen that your addiction hasn't prepared you for. You know? <laughs> and that's true. You know, I, I was saying that to my dad last week. I would, I would go through this. You could start this again, but I, I really got to evaluate, is this true? And I think that it is. You could start this again in March of 2021 and make me go through it again before I kick heroin again. I know one hundred percent. No, one hundred percent. You know, they but talk I about being at, being at my friend's house and my body hurting. Like, do I want to walk through that again, or could I go through this quarantine again? I'd rather go through the quarantine again. Me too. Right. Me too. Yeah. Me too. I remember the very first time. I did you ever, didn't you kick in jail? Didn't you kick in federal prison once and they don't even give you ibuprofen, right? Not federal, not federal, not federal. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. No, just, no, but. You when, kicked in jail once, didn't you? When you got I, raided? I kicked, like, I, no, I kicked in jail with, with, I was pregnant with oh, Hannah. that's right. That's right. That's I was right. pregnant with Hannah. That's right. And uh, they found out I was pregnant. They stepped, they put me in, they put me in, uh, they put me in medical, but there was like no overflow. Like normally medical is like, you're kind of in this big open space. Uh, you can go to the bathroom. You can, you can watch TV, everything. It's really, really cool. But apparently like medical is full and they only have this, they have this like locked the lockdown cell. Yes. Oh my God. You know, like with that little slit that you look through. (laughs) <laughs> no, Dude, it was, I was no, it was, it was a glass, oh, okay. it, was, it was a glass door, but, okay. um, but I think it's like for people that are like super sketchy and like, yeah. you don't know what they're going to do or whatever. <laughs> um, well, but they put me in there oh, and so, no. and I like shit all over myself, oh, uh, you no. know, like, cause I couldn't, you know, like the deputy had to like walk her fat ass over to open the door when oh, I needed to go to the bathroom no. and they weren't fucking. I remember I was in holding once and they put some girl in that cell and, um, you know, she wasn't really nuts. She was just upset. And they threw her in there. And they <laughs> took her clothes off. They stripped her. Okay, that's a different one. That's a different time. <laughs> she was in there naked. And then, I don't know, a few hours passed. Yeah. A little, I can see it in my head right now. The little thing flipped open. And I saw her eyeballs. <laughs> and she's like, hello? I feel better. <laughs> and I was like, dude, that bitch is freezing right now. Because yeah. I'm freezing and she's in there naked. And she just kept flipping up the thing. And I could just see her eye peeking through. Don't ever tell them that you want to kill them yourself. Don't ever tell them you want to kill yourself. <laughs> uh, bad news bears. Yeah, yeah you don't want to go down that road. So another thing we always try to do is we ask, do you work out? And if you do, does that play a role in your recovery? So I do work out. 
and it's a huge, you know, it is a, you know, like I'm not super, super consistent, right. you know, um, I kind of, you know, like I, I struggle, I mean, especially like during this pandemic thing, right. you know, um, but I can absolutely say that one of the huge, you know, one of my huge reservations were I'm, I'd rather shoot dope than be, than be overweight. Yeah. Than gay <laughs> right. Um, and when I first came in, I like gained 40 pounds. I was fatter than I'd ever been in my entire freaking life. Right. Um, and it was terrible, but eventually like the thing is you do your, you know, like we have, you know, a malady of mind, body, and spirit, and we have to take care of all three of those things. And so, you know, as, as you felt better about yourself, you know, like, uh, like spiritually and emotionally, like then you, you want to take care of your body, you know, yeah. you want, you want to do that stuff. Um, so, and I don't know, like 100%, uh, I'll like do stuff that's good for me. Like, you know, like I'm, it's all or nothing. Right. <laughs> so I I'll, like that too. So I will like religiously work out for three yeah. months straight and then I'll miss it like three or four days. And then I'm off. two months will go by. Do you think that's an addict thing or do you do that too? Or do you stay, cons you're super consistent by, by you. And sometimes you forget we're not on TV. I, I mean, Kim, you're pretty consistent with working out. Do you have any, do you go off diet wise, like binge? I'm wondering if this is an addict thing or if this is a human thing. Well, I don't think I eat healthy just regularly i mean uh -huh. like it's okay i'm not super unhealthy. but it's okay yeah yeah because so i do the same off. thing she's I think talking sometimes about. i'll i'll do the oh i didn't monday so it's okay today and hope it's wednesday and hope it's thursday but okay i'm usually like i haven't been feeling great and i think that's why so i'll just get back to yeah it. i think that's kind of a human condition we probably take it too far as yeah. most things go mm -hmm. right yeah but i think that everybody probably kind of falls prey to that you mm -hmm. know so Okay, and then we also always ask, if someone's listening, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, they're early. You've got one actionable thing that you could recommend somebody start doing today. What would it be? Get a sponsor. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, Get a sponsor. You know, you and, and okay. because this is what my sponsor told me. She said, you are not capable of making good decisions for yourself. And, and, and I'll tell you when you are. Uh, <laughs> has that day come yet has debbie ever said brain she graduated yes <laughs> she did at some point she said you can make good decisions because uh, i don't know if you've told me i can make a decision <laughs> well this is what she told me she told me you need to get five people that you trust and you and you know and that needs to be you know th that you respect you and you trust yes okay and and those are the people you know like those are the people because like when i when they told me to be a house manager i was like hell no oh, yeah, that's right you know, i am do not it. I'm not going to tell on people. I'm not going to, you know, right. I'm not going to be in charge of people. Like, and if I would have said no to that job, right. I wouldn't be a counselor today. I wouldn't be in school today. All, and you know, that's sure. another like if pivotal thing, like that would have changed the course of my, you know, right. life. Right. Um, and the five people that I trusted all said, yes, that's a fabulous idea. Okay. You know, like, you know, I told Debbie that I was going to just work at the strip club once a month and go to school full time. <laughs> She laughed at me. <laughs> oh, really? oh my god! That's, and you were serious? You were dead. Serious? I was dead serious. I thought that was a great plan. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Do people strip sober? Does anyone strip sober? I've heard of. I've heard of a it's couple. A unicorn. <laughs> that's rare in your experience. Were any of those girls clean sober that you danced with? 
I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. I don't think that it's not something that you can sustainably do. You know, I don't it's think the whole, so either. it's the whole, if you at hang out, if you hang out at the barbershop, you're going to, you know, like, eventually get a haircut. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And you know, you kind of have to be in this like part, you know, like happy go lucky, right. like, you know totally. what I'm saying? Like you, you can't be like super sober serious. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. And you know, you have to, you know, like be socially lubricated to right. like, be that person yeah. that's gonna, you know, and plus you are literally like conning people out of money. Right. So, yeah. you know, I mean, you, how can you be sober? I mean, like the, it's kind of like, you know, the whole Buddhist, like your job needs to kind of be like in line with your, with your values. Right. You know? right. And it's funny because um, one of the guys, one of the guys, one of Steve regards like older homies that was in the program with me was like, uh, this is going to be your living amends, you know, because you used to con con guys out of, out of money and now you're gonna now you're gonna con them into a way a new way of life oh that's, kind of, that's a good way to put it when you were working as the intake coordinator yes that's so funny. That's cool. thank you so much rachel yeah thank mm, you thank you for asking me that was an honor and a privilege yeah i'm excited good. to meet and thank you. you for sponsoring me for all these years oh no thank you thank you for letting me <laughs> it's a good thing we're so different no but i can honestly like i can honestly say just having somebody think holy crap, like I have something that they, that they want. Right. Right. It is like a huge thing. You know what I'm saying? It is a huge thing. Right. Um, well, and you know what too, asking you marked a big shift in me because we are different mm -hmm. and I would not have thought that I could have learned anything mm -hmm. from someone that had been a stripper and had not gone to college and all the things that I would have thought back then, mm -hmm. but I was so desperate by the time I got back, I remember we, you and I drove somebody down to the courthouse because he had court and I went with her and I asked how much time you had. And I remember you were like, well, not very much. I only have nine months. And I remember thinking, holy shit, nine months. That's <laughs> so long. How do you have nine months? You haven't shot heroin in nine months. You haven't shot speed in nine months. You remember that? Yeah. I was floored. And so I remember when, after I got kicked out and I, I went to another program, I was so, all I cared about was, and this was a master shift for me. There's one thing I don't know how to do. I don't know how to stay clean. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to do it. And I know that Rachel does. Mm -hmm. And that's really all that matters. And I think that's when you know that your, your last bit of, of arrogance yeah. has washed away mm -hmm. because my dad being a pilot didn't matter. And for a while it did matter to me. You know what I mean? When I went places, me and Tommy both, yeah. we felt like not, better than, but different. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I thought this plan may be needed for someone like you. It's not necessary for someone like me. I've got these other things, yeah. you know? And so that also marks like a big shift for me too, I think, you know? I've heard, yeah. yeah, I've heard that a lot for you is like, when you started to do something different, when you started to go, maybe I can get something from this person that I think I don't have anything in common with. Right. And being open to it. And being open to that. Yeah. That was, that was huge for me. Mm -hmm. So. Well, thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you guys again so much for tuning into Chasing Heroin. I said this in recent weeks, 160 people die a day from overdose. And those numbers are escalating during this quarantine and this lockdown. And now in California, we're back in a second lockdown and things are grim. And I know that that sounds overwhelming because it is overwhelming. But the action of rating and reviewing this podcast changes our placement in the Apple and the Apple algorithm. So if somebody is looking for contact like content like this, 
this could show up as recommended listening. Mm -hmm. And because I do talk about opiate addiction and escaping opiate addiction, and that is what people are currently dying from, I would love to get this show elevated to some level of visibility that somebody may be looking for it. So if you have a moment, guys, if you could just tap on hopefully the five stars, maybe take four, but I prefer five, and then maybe write something nice. We would appreciate that. And if you're looking to follow us, uh, Chasing Heroin on Instagram, Janine Coulter on Instagram, Studio Cybrid on Instagram is also my fitness studio in Southern California. And our uh, Chasing Heroin TikTok is blowing up. Yeah. I just started it last week. We talked about it on the episode with Brad and I started something that day and it got like 11,000. And for me, I have social media for all my other things. Right. For myself, for the studio, for my old SEH Pilates. And I've never had traction like I have with this, mm -hmm. which is very cool. And I think, I think you all will like it. It's funny. It's funny. You know, a lot of people don't get it's a joke. Like when I said the on my way to meet my rehab boyfriend, there were people that were like, be careful. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody was like, whore. I was yeah. like, yeah. Said Somebody said something like, really mean. He was like, look, she can barely walk because her knees are knocked or something yeah. like that. Remember that's the one Kim texted me and was like, Somebody wrote something really rude. You should delete it. <laughs> so if you do go watch it, it's a joke. I spent, jokes. they're all jokes. I spent way more time. It, the, the, it comes very naturally to me because I spent 15 years doing stuff like that. But like, I mean it as a joke. Right. You know? <laughs> but I, I was Anyways, a little surprised. Anyways, I think people will find it entertaining. I think that yeah. people will find it entertaining too. So, so follow that. I think yeah. it's hilarious. Yeah. So if you're on TikTok, <laughs> check us out, Chasing Heroin on TikTok. Basically, you'll get a glimpse into my life circa 99 through 2015. That's what it looks like. So, all right, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks.